follow-ups to our motor vehicle accidents episode. Uh-oh. Trevor Phillips. Good guy. Good guy. Prints our T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Amongst other things. I'm uh, sure that's not the only thing he does with his life. No. <laughs> that's it. We keep him, we keep him uh, tied up in the basement. Uh-huh. It may be important to our listeners, though. Okay. For those who uh, have purchased or are interested in the future in purchasing a Caustic Soda t-shirt, printed, hand-printed by Trevor Phillips, who was recently in a uh, car accident. Uh, I'm assuming uh, he didn't land in a, in a bed of goose down and flowers. He got hit by the truck full of pillows and crashed into the marshmallow factory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, actually, he was standing on a street corner in here in Vancouver, B.C. on September 1st. And two cars in front of him collided, and one of them uh, basically rebounded into him. Careened out of control. Careened out of control. Good turn of phrase. Uh-huh. And smashed him into a building. Yeah. Yeah. So Trevor was in critical condition for a while. He was just released from hospital as I'm recording this. But I have set up a Indiegogo fundraiser campaign for Trevor. Uh, so if you just go to Indiegogo and type in uh, Palooza, which is what I'm calling it. Mm-hmm. That'll come up for you. And we'll put a link on Costco Soda Podcast as well. Of course. And uh, we're encouraging all our listeners to donate to help uh, Trevor, uh, since he owns a small business, and that's his, uh, that's his main source of income, I believe. He, uh, he could use some extra bucks, him and his wife. And to, during the uh, recovery, the long road of recovery. But this isn't just for to. karma points or anything like this. You've actually got some very real things that you can receive in exchange for your donation. Yeah, you know, a lot of people have been bugging me to release the uh, acapella songs that I've been recording for Caustic Soda. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll get around to that. Uh, well, now I've set a date. Uh-huh. Uh, those of you who want to go to the Healapalooza can donate to the $24, and you will get an advanced copy of my solo album, quote-unquote. Uh-huh. The Torin Atkinson Acapella Project. Yeah, and that'll be um, the music that many people have been pining for. And you'll help out a great guy in Trevor at the same time. Exactly. There's also perks from Sword of the Stars, The Pit, and there's tickets to Improv Against Humanity in Vancouver, and uh, you should go and check it out and help Trevor. <laughs> Oh, it's me first. Hang around. We're going to keep you in suspension today. I'm Joe Fulgham. This episode has half the ink, but twice the hepatitis C of your average weekend at Sturgis. I'm Chris Woods. Prison genital beating employs both definitions of the word junk. I'm Torrin Atkinson. Stick around. It's time to get inked up and pinned down. I'm Kevin Leeson, and we're live from EmilyCon. It's Caustic Soda. Tattoos and body modifications today. Tattoo, it comes from Tahitian and Samoan. Tatau, to mean puncture or mark made on skin. So actually uh, describing the thing that... The pokiness. Yeah, and the, uh, the markingness. Mm-hmm. Uh, modification is from 14th century Middle French and directly from Latin. Modificationem, meaning <laughs> a measuring from past participle stem of modificare to alter an object to bring it up to date. Oh, okay. Wow. So where you're bringing... So you never modify something back. You always modify it forward. 
Sure, sure. And when you're talking about uh, body modification, you're bringing it up to date. I just got my iPhone 5 tattoo, and it's all screwed up. <laughs> should get Apple Care for that. Updating jokes. Uh, fear of needles and pins is balonophobia. Fear of sharp things is eichmophobia. Are you sure it's not pronounced balonophobia? Balonophobia? <laughs> yum, 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 yum. Nobody has that. Yeah. Nobody has balonophobia. <laughs> We're going to focus on body modification for aesthetic purposes, not sex change operations, not accidental scarring and amputations will be its own episode. Mm-hmm. So we already discussed on uh, our Deadly Sins Pride episode, if you want to go back and listen to that one again, body dysmorphic disorder, comorbidity, foot binding, stiletto heels, Morton's neuroma, botched plastic surgery, etc. Yep. So uh, we're going to dodge all those ones. We're getting into a whole new set of things you can do to your body. Voluntarily, no less. <laughs> The modern primitives movement is defined as people in developed nations who engage in body modification rituals and practices while making reference or homage to the rite of passive practices of primitive cultures. These practices may include body piercing, tattooing, of course. I think I don't need to describe those. Everybody should know what uh, that's involved with. Yep. But there's something called play piercing, uh, a.k.a. needle play or recreational acupuncture which is body piercing done for the purpose of enjoying the experience rather than producing a permanent body decoration. Needles, sharpened bones, or other tools are used or removed from the body when the episode is complete, allowing the wounds to heal. All right. So all the pain with none of the <laughs> lasting effects. Seem, seems good to me. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense, right? You just go, keep going back to the well that way. I'm not somebody who has a lot of piercings, yeah. as in zero. I don't really understand the appeal of the pain part of it. Anybody, can anybody at the panel explain this to me? Uh, Everyone loves pain, right? Not, not personally. Okay, so I do have a piercing. My left nipple is pierced. And I got it because I was scared of it. Like, because I've never, I never get my ears pierced. And I just thought, you know, if I don't like it, I'll get it undone. And when I got it, the pain was so bad, I actually got woozy. Like, mm. I got lightheaded. Sure. Uh-huh. They had to put a damp cloth on my head. Like, it didn't hurt that much. It's just, I guess I'm a wuss. And so you thought to yourself, oh, I want to do this over and over and well, over again. I didn't. But when I told people, oh, yeah, or, you know, they'd see it, like, a shirt was playing road hockey or something. And, like, they'd be like, oh, man, you got your nipple pierced, man. I got both done. I got my first done. And then I had to go back and get the second because it was such an awesome experience. And I was just listening to him talk going, no, 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 the experience part was not the good part. So I don't get it, but I hear from people all the time who loved the experience of getting pierced. So what you're if, the only person on the panel with a, a piercing? True or not I true? I think so. True. true. Okay, yeah. And do any of us have tattoos? No. no so I, we are all experts in cool. this uh, topic <laughs> that we're going to discuss for the next Much well, like our slavery episode where... One three of us three white slaves. guys talked about slavery. I think there's also the obvious reason in that look what I can endure. There's the social display aspect right. of yeah. I got piercings all over the place. Look I'm at tough. me. I'm tough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Another modern primitive thing that people are doing are flesh hook suspensions. Yeah. We've got an image for this. Yes. Uh, this is the act of suspending a human body from hooks that have been put through body piercings. These piercings are temporary and are performed just prior to the actual suspension. Uh, <laughs> the first audible cringe from the audience. Now, Joe, you said before the episode, before we started recording, that you actually know somebody who does this. Yeah, I have a friend who lives in, of all places, Portland, mm-hmm. uh, who, for fun, gets suspended from hooks. And I think bigger ones than those. Yeah. In her back. 
Uh-huh. And she gets lifted up vertically and gets suspended up there. And she says that the pain is so intense that she just, like, it lets her clear her mind and just focus on what's important. I again, What's important I is getting off those fucking hooks. That's, that is exactly <laughs> what my thought would be. Uh, she loves it, says it's like a spiritual experience for her, uh, despite not being all that spiritual a person. Like kind of a Zen thing. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it, it, everything else becomes white noise. Yeah. She can only think about these hooks in her back. Yeah. It also appears to be a pretty social thing because, of course, you don't just randomly get sure. like a person and then the two of you go suspend. There's a whole thing. It's community. People show up. There's a community. Everybody makes sure. Yeah, these days, everybody spotters. understands infections. So, you know, people are making sure everything's clean and everything's been sterilized and that you're okay when you're doing it so very it's very supportive atmosphere i guess in the past people used to go to church to be social yeah (laughs) now you can put hooks in your back i wonder if the listeners are going to be able to hear me cringing uh when i talk because there's going to be a lot of me cringing whenever you actually physically cringe just say cringe That'll do it. That'll, that'll help. That won't, it certainly won't put people off or anything. Uh, scarification are scars formed by cutting or branding of the skin by various methods, such as scratching, etching, burning, or superficially cutting. Here's an image of somebody who carved a... I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's a Buddha. It, it's either a Brahmin or a Buddha image, and they used a Dremel tool to flay their skin away. So the red parts that we see, and all of our listeners should go to CausticSodaPodcast.com to check this out. Yes, you should. Walk, don't run. There were fle- no, run, don't walk. <laughs> there are fleshy-colored bits in this image, and then there are red-colored bits, and that's like blood and sub-epidermis, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, they've taken away all the parts they didn't need, I guess. I think the like sub-epidermis is called the dermis? Yes or no? Yes. Thank you, Dr. <laughs> Rob, is in the audience tonight. <laughs> Uh, the motivation for engaging in these various practices uh, of modern primitive practices is often stated to be for personal growth, rite of passage, spiritual or sexual curiosity. I'm not 100% sure uh, how spiritual a Dremel tool is. But, I wonder uh, what it would be like to gouge big hunks out of my flesh. <laughs> I'm curious. Some people are down with it. Now, one of the gentlemen who's considered uh, the father of the modern primitive movement is a guy named Fakir Musafar. We've got an image of him as well if you want to go check him out. He's doing an extreme uh, set of piercings. And uh, we feel like I have to mention him, although his life story isn't really all that caustic, so that's as far as I'll go on that front. <laughs> but uh, he is kind of the pioneer in a lot of these regards. He's pierced in about 30 different places simultaneously. And he's wearing a big red diaper. <laughs> Yo, know, that's the uh, primitive part of the modern primitive. Of the diaper. Yeah. <laughs> The modern is not dying from an infection. <laughs> okay. The primitive is, is the, the diaper. diaper. Yeah. I believe he's wearing a cage also that if he gets up and walks around, it's a whole sort of a right. contraption that he mm-hmm. parades about. It. It's like when you hurt your neck. Like we had <laughs> yes. a friend in high school who hurt, hurt uh, his neck, and he, got the and he had to wear the big cage around his head at all times. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that sort of a thing. Exactly. Right. Before it was cool. His real name is uh, Roland Loomis, but he goes by Fakir Musafar. Of course he does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A little more zing. So, who's talking about Otzi? Otzi is uh, also known as the Iceman, a very big fan of Val Kilmer. He is the uh, gentleman who was found in the Alps uh, who had been frozen. So he's like a, pr- a primitive man. He's like a, a Neanderthal or no, a he's Homo sapiens. Homo sapiens. He's uh, about 30,000 years old, they figure. But uh, he was found frozen in, uh, in a glacier, uh, in an unfrozen glacier, rather, in the Alps in northern Italy. And he thought he- out. 
Yeah, he was found by hikers, and uh, he has a sample of several tattoos. Um, the Iceman's body is covered with over 50 tattoos in the form of groups of lines and crosses. Unlike modern tattooing methods, the tattoos were not produced with needles, but by means of fine incisions into which charcoal was rubbed. Sure. Oh, okay. Interestingly, Otzi's tattoos are located at points where his body was subjected to considerable strain during his lifetime and very probably caused him a lot of pain due to wear. I wonder if you, when you rub charcoal into your open wounds to create tattoos, do you just like, constantly smell like barbecue for the rest of your life? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, everybody's like, who's cooking? Right? <laughs> so you're saying that 30,000 years ago he invented scratch and sniff tattoos? <laughs> And they lost this technology. Like that. This one smells like barbecue. <laughs> or he could have been a heavy smoker. Yeah. Yeah. It was just you know, a good way to dispose of the ashes. Well, it's all just carbon, right? The tattoos were probably intended as therapeutic measures rather than as symbols. Oh. One therapeutic? Wait a minute. So he's getting a tattoo to cure something? Supposedly. That's... He's getting some uh, tattoo therapy. Well, he said that, exactly. it's, that they were in places where he had strain on his body, so he yeah. thought that by putting those marks there, it probably would help him heal. So do you think they were like, either he was casting a spell on that part of his body, or do you think it was like the whole like, hey, listen, if you've got a sore arm, I'm going to punch you in the head so you forget about your sore arm? Mm-hmm. I oh, maybe. No, I think it's more like, you know, when, when you have like a sore back or, or, or something, or like a zit or something, you just want to cut it open. Yep. It's like, I just, it's, just, it's just that weird kind of painting that you just want to release. Or excise the spirits and such. Do you think this is where that saying, rub a little dirt on it, came from? (laughs) Almost certainly. Um, One or several groups of vertical lines are located to the left and right of the spinal column, on the left calf, on the right instep, and on the inner and outer ankle joint. Two lines cross the left wrist. A cross-shaped mark appears on the back of the right knee and beside the left Achilles tendon. The Iceman had therefore undergone pain-relieving treatment on multiple occasions, Astonishingly, the tattooed areas correspond to skin acupuncture lines. I don't know where that could probably use a citation. Before Otzi, it was thought that this treatment had only originated 2,000 years later into Asia. Mm. And it's interesting if you consider now that uh, people who undergo therapy for uh, radiation treatment are also tattooed on the area where the, the radiation people, I'm sure Dr. Rob could illuminate that better than I could. So what, my, like kind of a stick needle here tattoo? Precisely. My late father-in-law had lung cancer and had uh, some, some very interesting dots and crosses and targeting points for the radiation treatment. Right. So you know what? Totally make the funeral way more fun because you play darts. <laughs> I was thinking tic-tac-toe. All right, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Or a, uh, some kind of a beautiful connect the dots. You just make your own. <laughs> yeah. Make your own design. <laughs> I'd like to talk about some tattoo medical issues. Of course, there's infection, since tattoo instruments come in contact with blood and bodily fluids. Diseases such as hepatitis B, hepatitis C, tuberculosis, call back to our tuberculosis episode, and HIV may be transmitted if the instruments are used on more than one person without being sterilized. The most common dermal reactions to tattoo pigments are granulomas. This is a collection of immune cells. And lichenoid eruption. Say it with me. Lichenoid eruption. You guys can Google that It's at not home. quite as good as lovenoid. I don't think that anything good can come of anything that ends with eruption. eruption. Yeah. Erection is different. Eruption. Well, Love eruption. Come on, Kevin. Uh, other conditions noted have been cement dermatitis, which sounds awesome. Discoid lupus erythematosus, eczema, hyperkeratosis, parakeratosis. 
and so many keratosis. Eyes. <laughs> collagen deposits and collagen scars. I'm sure uh, Dr. Rob is probably the only one in the audience who knows what all of those things are. <laughs> but they all sound terrible. Delayed reactions. Hypersensitive reactions to tattoos are known to lay latent for significant periods of time before exhibiting symptoms. Delayed abrupt conic reactions such as eczema are known to manifest themselves from months to as many as 20 years after the patient received his or her most recent tattoo. So you get a tattoo, and then 20 years later, you get, you get a disease a, You get eczema, yeah, you get oh. some kind of a right. skin condition. That was Osama bin Laden's first plan for 9-11, was to tattoo <laughs> all New Yorkers and then wait 20 then years. 20 years. <laughs> okay. That's a good plan. Right. Oh, Plast- my skin is slightly flaky. <laughs> Damn you, terrorists. <laughs> terrorists. Plastic-based inks, for example, glow-in-the-dark ink, are known to lead to polymerization under the skin, where the tattoo pigment particles converge into one solid plastic piece under the skin. So you get ink that when you turn off the lights, it glows in the dark. Yeah. So you have your own personal nightlight at all times. Exactly. Yep. If you had to get a glow-in-the-dark tattoo, what would you get, Torn? Probably just, you know, the picture of a really bright light, like a, oh, like a, a like a flashlight. Like on a the flash side of your head, oh, like you're always would, having an that idea. That would be good, too. Yeah. yeah. I would get one of the sun. Oh, nice. Just a big round dot. I, yeah, I, I just get, it. like, really bright, like, uh, on the tips of my fingers. Oh. Flashlights. Very easy. So then I can just yeah. kind of <laughs> search around and see like, exactly what I'm about to pick like up. Almost like superpowered. Like a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah. It would be ironic if you had a sun one that the only time you could see it is when you're not in the sun. That's right. Mm-hmm. And naked. <laughs> or if you go to raves a lot, you could just have one that says, uh, this music's too loud. <laughs> <laughs> Some allergic reactions have been medically documented. These are most often seen with red, yellow, and occasionally white inks. Reactions can be triggered by exposure to sunlight. People who are sensitive or allergic to certain metals may react to pigments in the skin with swelling and or itching and or oozing of clear fluid called serous fluid. This comes from the serous glands. A few cases of burns on tattoos caused by MRI scans have been documented. Problems tend to occur with designs containing large areas of black ink since black commonly contains iron oxide. The MRI scanner causes the iron to heat up, either by inducing an electrical current or hysteresis. Hysteresis? Hysteresis. Hysteresis. (laughs) So it makes you laugh? (laughs) This is when an external (laughs) magnet field is applied to a ferromagnet, such as iron. The atomic dipoles align themselves with it. So that clears that up. Yeah, no, I'm I'm totally tuned in now. (laughs) So you may be wondering, how do you tattoo in prison? I wonder it every day. I think to myself, if I was in prison, yeah, Yeah. well, I'm here to help. I love it. You can make ink. This I saw this actually on a uh, TV documentary called "Marked: Pure Evil," which was about uh, Russian prison tattoos. Mm. Okay. You can make ink by completely burning a tire tube or rubber from a boot heel until it is powder-like. Convicts will burn it in a metal bowl, often the bowl that food is provided in. And then mix the soot with urine for antiseptic purposes. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now, in Russian prisons, it must be from the person, this urine must be from the person who's being tattooed, otherwise, you'll be labeled homosexual. And we all know oh, how course. the Russian uh, oh, prison system, prison system okay. feels about homosexuals. Yeah. yeah, it's ironic that they don't like them and then they're filling their prisons with them. And then strain uh, with bedsheet to sift out impurities. And you can build a tattoo gun with a toothbrush, a lighter, a small motor from a Walkman or a boombox, a pen, and a guitar string. And if you're MacGyver, you can make an atomic bomb out of the exact same stuff. Yes, if you are MacGyver. That's why uh, the cassette is making such a comeback, because it's pretty hard to make a tattoo gun out of your uh, iPod. Out of an iPod? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Now, tattoos can be removed voluntarily. In, in prison? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. In the case of loss of rank in the prison. Okay. Or if you change your lifestyle, one, that, one tattoo that came up a lot was if you have a spider and it's pointing up, then that means you are uh, not done with being a thief. But okay. if it's pointing downwards, that means you're giving up being a, being okay. a thief. Okay, all right. No. So that would be a lifestyle change. So you would bandage magnesium powder onto the surface of the skin, which dissolves the skin bearing the marks with painful caustic burns. All right. So you replace your tattoo with a scar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This powder is gained by filing light alloy, e.g. lawnmower casing, and is a jailhouse commodity. <laughs> so you burn it off. Yeah, you burn oh. it off. Oh, that's healthy. It's a good time. Yeah, it's a good time. Well, that seems that we're talking about prison tattoos. I got a pop quiz. Is everybody up for a pop quiz? Oh, right. yes. All right. So this is uh, the meanings of some prison tattoos. Because okay. uh, believe it or not, prison tattoos have a tendency to kind of be esoteric. Sure. Yeah, a little mm. bit, uh, not, not necessarily give away. Like it doesn't say, hey, I killed somebody right across your forehead necessarily. Right. Although <laughs> uh, that would be convenient. Like for instance. Very wordy though. For instance, there's a uh, teardrop tattoo that's quite common. Mm. Anybody, uh, I think this one is you know, represented in a lot of film and television. Right. So does yeah. anybody know what the teardrop... That, that means you've killed somebody, right? It does or, indeed mean that you've killed somebody. I thought but, it was in honor of uh, the cruelty of Fiji water. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You're very sad that the environmental damage. Right. But the, uh, the tattoo that Joe was talking about is, uh, is a, the black teardrop tattoo. Oh. The image that we have on the website, if you go to mm. CosticSodaPodcast.com, is the clear... Teardrop right, tattoo. Right, just the outline of it. The outline of a teardrop tattoo. Does anybody know what that Does that mean you're going to kill somebody? You killed a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> you are a ghostbuster. You have Casper written underneath it, right? <laughs> uh, a clear teardrop can mean that the wearer has committed an attempted murder uh. or that a close friend was killed and the wearer is seeking revenge. Yeah, that's oh, right. Okay. I'm going to fill so, this in. I'm going to fill this in yeah. eventually. Right. Just watch out. The next, uh, the next one we've got here is... What do you think it means when somebody's tattooed with the phrase 100% wood? 100% wood. Chris Woods. Oh! <laughs> They're one of my biggest fans. <laughs> <laughs> that, that might not actually be untrue. They could be big fans of yours. I don't know. Um, they have erectile dysfunction. <laughs> you, they, yeah, they need to announce well, that. Well, they, over, they overcompensate. Yeah. I'm um, 100% wood. <laughs> Uh, 100% wood actually is associated with woodpecker images, and it's a, a derivation from the derogatory term pecker wood mm-hmm. used by African Americans against whites in the South. Okay. It's uh, kind of their, uh, their you know, W word, if you will, for uh, crackers or whatever else you want to call them. Okay. So it has now been co opted by white supremacist groups. Mm. They are now owning the term pecker wood. Uh, and 100% wood is a derivation of that. So, so that means pure white. Yes. So you'll see okay. in this image, uh, this guy kind of has a dead giveaway because he's got the double SS lightning right bolts right underneath yeah. this 100% wood. So it's kind of a, he's sort of, you know, spoiler alert. Yeah. Right. I'm a white supremacist. I wonder how many fun surprises these guys are getting in the days of you can send off your own DNA to get it tested. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap, I'm 3% Neanderthal. <laughs> well, I understand the woodpecker community is very upset with the misappropriation <laughs> of their uh, namesakes. That's right. Woody Woodpecker is white and red and, and blue. blue. Oh. So the next image is one everyone's going to want to check out because this is a young man that you're going to want to, ladies, you're definitely going to want to bring this guy home to mom. <laughs> 
He has a number of face tattoos, but on his right temple, he has the number 14, and on his left temple, he has the number 88. Does anybody know what the numbers 14 and 88 might mean? He's a big fan of Back to the Future. 14 and 88. I would make like sports references, but I don't think anybody here on the panel is necessarily going to get them. He plays piano, 88 keys. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that's a good one. How long did Columbus... Is a concert pianist? How long did Columbus take to get out? It was 1492 that he sailed the ocean blue. So it was 1488 <laughs> when he set up and started organizing. So it's about the plan for white people to come over and do things. He looks like a skinhead. He is a skinhead. There's yeah. no doubt about it. He's got a swastika right in between his eyes and the, right in his Manson spot, I call it. Right. But the number 14... Uh, uh, on his right temple represents the 14 words of white nationalist David Lane, mm. which encompasses the white supremacist philosophy. And those 14 <laughs> words are... Take only photos and leave only footprints. <laughs> <laughs> we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. Those are the 14 words. And the 88 stands for Heil Hitler, because H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So we can read, then. We under- yeah, <laughs> we, we, he's, we've well, got that much. He has a comprehension of the alphabet. <laughs> Maybe seems unusual. Five dots. Let me know when you have five dots on your typically on your uh, on your hand in between your thumb and your forefinger. Yes, you've been bitten by two and a half spiders. <laughs> <laughs> two and a half radioactive spiders. <laughs> or two and a half vampire uh, bats. You were attacked by a one die. Oh, nice. Die. You got right. hit so Someone hard. Someone threw a D6 at you. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. hard. That it yeah, five! <laughs> That's what I needed. Uh, the five dots tattoo is representative of time spent in prison. The four outer dots symbolize prison walls, while the inner dot is the inmate. Oh. So it's, you see one of those, it's somebody who's like, I've been to jail. Yeah. Why is it not a dot inside an actual square? <laughs> it doesn't, it's a dot that don't have walls. Don't and what if the jail you're in is like circular? Is there such a thing? Oh, I they never make even circular thought of jails? That. I never even thought of that. 361 not- dots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the last one I have in the pop quiz is a clock with no hands. A clock Ooh. with no hands. Death sentence. Death sentence. This gentleman has lazy, a... Lazy. Lazy. Gen- <laughs> Does that mean life sentence? It means that they've done time or are doing time. It's representative of the meaninglessness of time to an inmate serving right. a lengthy or lifelong prison sentence. Okay. Joe's the only one that got one right. We've got a whole section here on tattoos as revenge. Mm. You can mm. believe it. Okay. We've got images to go with all these, so you're definitely going to want to play along with us, uh, listeners, on the website. I heard the, best re- I heard the best revenge is living well, so it must be like a really nice, beautiful tattoo that oh. you get on yourself. Yes, right. absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. I'm going to show that guy. <laughs> I'm going to get a beautiful tattoo. You don't have one. Ha, ha, ha. 2006. An inmate serving a life sentence for molesting and murdering a 10-year-old girl named Katie was forcibly tattooed across his forehead by a fellow prisoner who was a cousin of the murdered girl with the words, Katie's Revenge. Right. I'm not 100% sure I have a problem with this. Only with the method of determining guilt. Right. <laughs> right. right. I don't know. Uh, I think he, his lettering is a bit shaky. He could have done a better job. Yeah, the calligraphy is not so high. Yeah, if you're going to get revenge, <laughs> do it right. I think the, the guy was probably not uh, holding still. Yeah. yeah, he might have been struggling. His kerning is off. Is that a word? <laughs> yeah, that is a word. In typography, very good. Exactly. <laughs> uh, 2009, a woman carved her name on a man's body with a knife while he was asleep. Wayne Robinson met Dominique Fisher at a nightclub in Blackpool, England, after which the pair had a drink and drug-fueled four-day fling. <laughs> what... What can ever go wrong with somebody you have a relationship like that with? I mean, four days. That's a serious relationship. Yeah, it's, a, it's like the third longest one I ever had. 
It's a long know. weekend. That's like the anniversary for four days, the scarification. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> however... I get it. It's the... <laughs> However, when he woke up, he found she had carved Dominique on his arm, made multiple slashes on his left shoulder, and a star design on his back. She claimed that he agreed to these rudimentary tattoos. Mr. Robinson said that he had not consented, although he does admit he was so drunk he didn't feel a thing. Here, uh, you can check this out. They they look like they would be painful. Well, now, I'm a fan of abstract art. Okay. But I can't really make out what on the left shoulder... It is supposed to be. I think they're quotations. It feels like it's a Rorschach test kind of a thing going on here. It it seems like, you know, if you want to write with a pen and you haven't written with it in a while, you got to scratch off a bit on a piece of blank paper. Oh, and just, yeah. Okay, now, okay, oh, good. Now it's right. Oh, just the before she did the star on yeah, his back. Yeah, yeah. Oh. She's just like, yeah, is this she... cutting your skin? Can you feel this? No. Can I keep going? Can I start writing my name now? <laughs> yeah, she did, she did the star on the back and then needed to get the, the knife going again yeah. to do the name because it was a... She could have been a big fan of Utsi, the Iceman, and just, Oh, that's you know, true. Thought, this is going to hurt in all sick, these places. He's drunk. Let's, let, let's help him. Let's release the alcohol ah, spirits and uh, wake him up. Therapeutic tattoo. I think yes. what happened was that was her first attempt at writing her name, and then she was like, oh, I am way too drunk and effed up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so let's give it a couple hours, and then I'll try again. I think she got interrupted before she had a chance to rub the charcoal in. Uh, 2010. While Jason Tattersall, 35, was in jail, another 18-year-old male had a sexual relationship with Tattersall's girlfriend. Three days after he's released, Tattersall went on an ice binge. I believe that's crystal methamphetamine. Is, are you sure his last name wasn't Utsi? <laughs> he went ice on an ice binge and lured the mentally impaired teenager to a house to exact revenge. He broke the younger man's ankle with a baseball bat, took him outside to let his mates punch and kick him before he tattooed dog on the teen's forehead in green ink. The 18-year-old victim is now blind in his left eye, has undergone extensive surgery to his ankle as a result of the attack, and Tattersall received a 14-year sentence. Was it D-O-G or was it D-A-W-G? It was D-O-G. Oh, okay. It's not as cool. (laughs) No, it's definitely not cool. Did he get a bill for the tattooing? Because I understand you can make a lot of money tattooing these days. I mean, he did get it for free. That is true. That is true. But you'd think that Dog the Bounty Hunter could find a better way to advertise. (laughs) One of which would involve him not being on Dog the Bounty Hunter. Uh (laughs) Well, now it must be time to talk about scleral tattooing. Uh, The sclera is the white part of your eye. That's my favorite part. Now, corneal tattooing, before we actually get to scleral tattooing, uh, your cornea is the, the middly part, the, the part that you see with, more or less, as far as I understand it. Uh, corneal tattooing is a practice of tattooing on the cornea of the human eye, dyeing it with ink in order to add color. Reasons for this practice include improvement of cosmetic appearance and the improvement of sight. So, okay. this is not for uh, beauty's sake, or art. This is for function. This is for function. Right. Yeah, this, is, uh, this has practical applications. So don't enjoy it. So stop enjoying your <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. corneal tattoo. I'm pretty sure I would not enjoy somebody pumping ink into my eyeball. You don't know until you try it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, the practice of tattooing the sclera, or white of the eye. Uh, in 2007, an online article described in uh, the first three scleral tattoo procedures performed on sighted eyes... The tattoo artist tried two different procedures. The first, covering the needle with ink and puncturing the eye. Tried? Yeah. Hey, I, I want to do something. Give me your eye for a sec. <laughs> what? This method, method was deemed unsuccessful. I'm hoping they would try this out on a blind person. I'm hoping they would try it or, on a blind Well, you person. think you'd try it like on a 
sheep or something, or yeah. a dead person or something. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, dead eyeball. Okay, yeah. The second method was attempted. This procedure in which the sclera was injected with blue dye was successful. The procedures were effectively painless. This is a quote. Effectively painless because there aren't nerve endings in the surface of the eye. Not sure if this is true. Dr. Rob, do you know? He says, you've got a membrane over top. But if you clear off the membrane, yes. Well, that's physical pain, but the mental pain of knowing (laughs) that some ink is being injected into your eye would be pretty horrible. The after effects include fairly minor pain, bruising, and some discomfort. At least one subject suffered some blisters between the sclera and conjunctiva. Conjunctiva, conjunctiva, what's your function? Okay. That's the membrane. Thank you, Dr. Rob. Cosmetic tattooing of the cornea can be extremely dangerous. Risks include blindness and complications may include infection, perforation, and hemorrhage. From there, I would like to move to the extraocular implant. All right. I've got an extra one right here. Mm-hmm. An extraocular implant? Okay. Does, does that, is that when they actually implant a third eye? You get another eyeball? Yeah, you get to <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. I think I'm gonna, they, we call this the cyclopean? Triclopean. A triclopean, yes, of Triclops. course. Uh-huh. Uh, also known as eyeball jewelry, a cosmetic implant involving a tiny piece of decorative jewelry which is implanted within the superficial interpalpebral conjunctiva of the human eye. I'm really proud about how you're pronouncing all this stuff. I've got to tell you, you know, you're taking a little extra time, and I think it's paying off. Uh, that's important for the listeners, I think. Because everyone's writing this down, so I want to, you know, be clear. So, okay, I'm looking at this image now, and this is, you're blinging your eyeball. You're adding some bling to your eye. Okay. Eye yeah. The conjunctive aligns the inside of the eyelids and covers the sclera. Designed at the Netherlands Institute for Innovative Ocular Surgery in 2002, the procedure is completely legal in the Netherlands, as long as it is performed by a licensed ophthalmologist under sterile conditions. Yeah, but what isn't completely legal in the mm-hmm. Netherlands? I mean, there's... Or a guy in torn jeans named Rex. Either one <laughs> is qualified. <laughs> the current cost is approximately 750 euros, I believe. Is that what that little... That, that is a euro C symbol. with the equal yeah. sign through it is? Yes. Thank you. The procedure is relatively quick, but it does require that both eyes be immobilized with anesthetic drops and that the layers of the eyeball where the implant is situated must be separated by the injection of liquid. Unlike subdermal implants and other new body modification procedures, the extraocular implant is currently only being performed in a medical clinic environment. As very few people have undergone this procedure, and it is relatively new, the long-term health effects are unknown. Yeah, like that's taking your vanity to a whole nother level. So you have absolutely nothing wrong with your eyeball, perfectly fine eyeball, and you're like, I want a star. or yeah. uh, or a moon. Or, or lucky, any of the lucky charms. <laughs> yeah, any of the lucky charms. <laughs> Purple horseshoes. <laughs> Going back to the uh, sclera tattooing, I wonder if uh, during the Battle of Bunker Hill in the Revolutionary War, if that guy who shouted, don't fire till they see the eye- whites what? of their eyes, right. would have had a problem if the British yeah, were all oh, tattooed with their, their eye eyes. tattooing. That's mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh-huh. See it? Yeah. <laughs> well, Mr. Woods, you are a military tactician. Obviously, you yeah. should have been there. Right. Uh-huh. How do you think Napoleon lost? <laughs> Eye tattooing. Drained his whole uh, coffers, his treasury. Breaking news right here on Caustic Soda. Yeah, that's Everyone right. now knows. Don't fire till they see the whites of their eyes. Or the ink. Or the ink. Ink is fine, too. <laughs> Shoot! <laughs> well, kind of a dark slate gray, maybe. That'll also I work. just meant general distance. Come on! <laughs> Branding. Perhaps the most painful of all body modifications. Let me mm. get my picture up here. Prepped. All right, so this is like superheated... So, 
There are different types of branding. Uh, strike branding is the process of heating a small piece of metal to the appropriate temperature and striking it against the skin. This can be done with a single or multiple strikes. Strike branding is the most common form of branding in use today. And by the appropriate amount of heat, super fucking hot. I would think so. Right. Uh, again, Bernie I've style. never experienced this. I actually don't think I know anybody who's been branded, actually. Okay. It's possible that I do and they just haven't told me. I do know some cows. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Have you, have you had much in conversation with them? They mostly moo. Okay. Yeah. For a guy who spends an awful lot of time in that hobby farm, Joe, he seemed to know very, know very little about branding. The well, problem with cows is that moo is like aloha. It's like both good and bad. That's true. Right? <laughs> the cows and I communicate in a different way. Oh, yeah. There's subtle nuances. Livestock would be so ahead of the curve, you know, being uh, hip and cool. That's yeah. Right. Trendsetters. They've been doing it for, yeah, for like two, three hundred years. Right. Uh, another form is electrocautery. This form of branding uses a device with, which passes electrical current through an electrode, which in turn becomes intensely hot. This type of branding can be used to create significantly more intricate patterns. Oh, okay. Uh, oh. And I've got... So you can actually draw with, like, as though it's got a... Pen. That's kind yeah, of like Pearl Craft. Yeah, because yes. it's... it's Wood burning. <laughs> it looks like you've got some sort of, like, pen-like device that you right. can kind of just stylus. draw on the skin. Yep. You could, right. you could brand a guy and uh, pay him $10 a day to stand outside of your house with the name of your family on it so people know that it's, it's the Joneses. Yeah. All right. yeah. The ultimate in decadent signage. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Okay. So Put those homeless job. people to work. <laughs> Give them got jobs. Job. It's minimum wage, but, uh, you know, don't have to do very much. Yeah, exactly. The hours are good. Uh, electrosurgery or hyfricator branding. This form of branding uses a device which passes electrical current directly through the patient's skin to, in effect, burn the skin. Hmm. So instead of the electricity heating up the point, it actually burns Oops. with electricity. Oh, so this is... Uh, You're being this struck is, by lightning. This is what Electro would do if he had to get a real job. Yeah. <laughs> it's like arc welding, but <laughs> yeah. with people. Uh, And then there's the cautery pen. This is a medical instrument used to control blood loss. Although previously popular among scarification artists, they've fallen out of favor lately as they're just not reliable enough for body modification. I'm guessing you have to try again and again and again, that kind of thing, in order to make it so it leaves an actual scar because our bodies are pretty good at uh, healing up without doing well, that. And if you have any wooden limbs, it's not very conductive at all. So oh, yeah. It's yeah. kind of uh, swimming upstream. Brands are a quite significant injury to the body and will take a long time to heal. It can take as long as 6 to 12 months to completely heal a brand. Uh, be aware that a brand is a third-degree burn and can easily get an infection if not taken care of properly. Branding does not produce perfect lines like tattooing. Scars will migrate and can heal inconsistently, leaving some areas more pronounced than others. Any lines formed during the branding process can be expected to heal to three times the initial wound width. So So, it used to look like my girlfriend, but now it looks like my mother. Yes. (laughs) So let me get this straight. So branding has all the advantages of being the most painful thing you could possibly do to yourself. Right. And it's not nearly so predictable about how it will finally end up looking at the end of yeah, the day. Yeah, it might end up looking ugly. <laughs> so uh, let's do it. Sweet. This sounds like a brilliant plan. I, yeah. I'm guessing it's much like we mentioned at the beginning, the, the actual experience of the pain when it happens. There's probably something about that super hot burning sensation creating the image that you're going to keep forever that yeah. is special to the people There's that do it. some endorphins in there somewhere, I'm yeah. sure, at that point. In well, that. Process. When I was in grade 8 woodworking, I remember sawing through this piece of dowel with a jeweler saw, which has mm-hmm. got a very thin blade, and I, I sawed like a 
motherfucker for as long <laughs> as I needed to. And I got through the wood. And uh, I, for some reason, I put the saw down. And I went and I went to pick it up by the blade, mm-hmm. and yeah. the blade, because I've been so, sawing so hard for so long, was mega hot. And I yeah. gave myself the worst burn I've ever gotten in my whole life, like oh. on the tip of one of my fingers. Okay. And it lasted for like two or three weeks. And every time I touched something, it was ah, ah. And I can't even imagine having something like a thousand times the size of this, like all over your body. You know, Virtual people making. are free to yeah. do what they want, of course. And yeah. I don't exactly want to make fun of people doing silly, for doing silly things because I do silly things that other people don't understand. But mm-hmm. this thing I really don't get. Well, there's something that has always baffled me, mostly in a how the heck do you eat your uh, mulligan stew, and that is lip plates. Oh, okay. So this is, uh, this is when this you... Is primarily a tribal... Seen in many racist uh, cartoons from the 1940s yes, and 50s. Been, yeah. Uh, yeah. Lip plates. Increasingly large discs, usually circular and made from clay or wood, inserted into a pierced hole in either the upper or lower lip or both, thereby stretching it. Right. The term labrette denotes all kinds of pierced lipped ornaments, including plates and plugs. Archaeological evidence indicates that labrettes have been independently invented no fewer than six times. In Sudan and Ethiopia in 8700 BC, Mesoamerica 1500 BC, and coastal Ecuador 500 BC. In so cultures that would have absolutely no chance of ever running yeah. into each other, mm-hmm. and they all pierce their lips completely independent of mm-hmm. uh, influence on each other. Absolutely. That's interesting. It's a, we have an inherent need to pierce our lips, I guess. Well, I also think it's such an obvious body modification. Uh, um, yeah, who needs them, right? Let's just pierce that stuff. Well, I mean, if you want to, <laughs> what are we primed to identify when we look at people? Faces. Faces, yeah. And we see, wow, that guy's got the biggest lip plate. He must be the man in charge. So I'm just guessing the uh, its immediacy and convenience as a, a status and rank symbol is right. probably okay. what makes it so, uh, so prevalent. Yeah. Many older sources reported that the plate's size was a sign of social or economical importance in some tribes. But because of natural mechanical attributes of human skin, the plate size may often depend on the stage of stretching of the lip and the wishes of the wearer. Okay. Among the Surma and Morsi people of Ethiopia, about 6 to 12 months before marriage, a young woman has her lip pierced by her mother or one of her kinsmen, usually at around age 15 to 18. The initial piercing is done as an incision of the lower lip 1 to 2 centimeters in length, and a simple wooden peg is inserted. Right. After mm-hmm. the wound has healed, which usually takes between two to three weeks, the peg is replaced with a slightly larger one at a diameter of about four centimeters. The first lip plate made of clay is then inserted. Every woman crafts her own plate and takes pride in including some ornamentation. Yeah. All right. The final diameters range from about eight to 20 centimeters. 20 centimeters. That's big. Yeah, yeah that is big. That's a stretchy lip. So, so these are like the, the ear gauges that people yeah. do, except yeah. through their lips. In that we can't see from these photos, they, they all show it from the top. But from the bottom, you can see the plug as well. There's just a big yes. hole that's been stretched out. And the plate out. is um, usually the edges, if it were a hockey puck, would be concave. So you would have a cutout right. uh, like right. so. Would it so allow it to stay rests. in place? The lip would act as a tightening band and... Uh, like a pulley almost, yeah. or a yo-yo. Right. You know, you know why, and I, I don't have any cultural reason, or uh, I certainly am no racist, but I am yeah, against. Yeah, but it's okay. I am against lip piercings because it has to 
affect the making out process, which is one of my favorite things in the world. Clonk, clonk. Oh. <laughs> You're taking your life into your own hands trying to make out with one of these tribal ladies. From what I understand, kissing is a Western invention, and that yeah. may also be a racist thing to say, and research would certainly be needed on that. <laughs> um, it also says that uh, Pacific Northwest tribes of North America, the Haida, Shimshin, and Tlingit lip plates are used among women to symbolize social maturity by indicating a girl's eligibility to marry. Uh, the installation of a girl's first plate was celebrated with a sumptuous feast. So, so Yeah, and they use the plate. You just, they just dish everything right <laughs> on the bottom lip. All right. Exactly. And you just tip your head back. And you just tip your head back. Now it makes sense. Cutlery optional. <laughs> exactly. You've always, yeah, you always have a uh, serving implement yep. and uh, you're ready to go. If you just uh, do some amputation and get yourself a, a fork and knife on the, uh, each hand, then you're, you're set for life. The next thing I want to talk about is a process called purling. Has anybody ever heard of purling? Is it like curling, but... Is that the, fan, the Ron Perlman fan club? <laughs> <laughs> we're all purlers here. That's right. We're purling this weekend, guys. Yeah, let's go purling. We're going to go to Ron Perlman's house and toilet paper his house. <laughs> well, you might change your mind about be, doing purling this weekend when you find out that it is, in fact, genital beating. Oh. It's the process of inserting... Beating or beading? Beating. B-E-A-D. Oh, no, genital beating is what uh, Joe does every Sunday night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he told me he was just watching Breaking Bad. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> so good. It is such a good show. You can't help yourself. There's only one way to you're make done, this better. And you're like, well... That was some fine television storytelling. There's only one way to top off an evening mm-hmm. like this. Genital beating. <laughs> well, I'm speaking about genital beating with a D, okay. where you make mm. an incision into your foreskin or the shaft of the penis Yikes. or the labia for the ladies, and you insert uh, hard metal or plastic objects. Yeah. These pictures are very NSFW, so anybody who's going to the site, you just be Beware that as you scroll down to check this stuff out, uh, you might want to make sure your boss isn't standing behind you. Uh, this practice is usually intended to enhance the sexual pleasure of partners during intercourse. Uh, in very rare cases, usually due to poor placement, rejection can happen. Hurled Re- for her pleasure. <laughs> That's, that is certainly the proponents of it. That's Unlike the others, argue. I can understand the mm-hmm. desire to do this. That makes sense to me. I well, wouldn't I'll, do it. We'll, we'll have a couple of stories about where okay. this went wrong in a, in a second. Yeah. Here. <laughs> no uh, doubt. Rejection can happen where the implant first will blister and then bruise and then reject up through the skin like a splinter oh. falling out, only with a giant metal ball. Uh, it, migration where... Does beads, it ever go... Like a like a ricochet. Well, maybe maybe if it's migrating out and then uh, you get a you get a boner, a, sud- a then, sudden boner. Yeah, it could act like a BB gun. Right? It's, it's like, like it. bursting all the buttons on your vest when you get overweight. <laughs> yeah, duck, run for cover. And not just because it was touching his penis five seconds ago. Uh, not even touching, like inside. <laughs> There's also migration, where the beads can shift around under the skin and change their layout. is quite common. Yeah, this winter, winter's always drift. very bad for your, your pearled uh, genitals. That could be an advantage. You do different placements for different effects. Unless you put like four of them in and then they all just end up clumped in like one little area. It probably you know, might be too much, too soon. Right Some people not, might need the concentration, Kevin. <laughs> well, I'll, if you're uh, you know, a street thug, if you lose your sap, You'll have a handy backup. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a sock full of hammers. Or a sock full of doorknobs. 
the problem is getting it up to head level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can you lean down a little bit? <laughs> yeah. I, I think you dropped something and then clunk, right? <laughs> it is important to note that not all sexual partners enjoy the feeling of genital beads, as is testified to in this anecdote from a post on bodymod.org that I found. Mm. I think the bead might be a huge mistake. I got it placed right after the little grouped-up skin that used to attach my foreskin to the center, thinking that it would feel good on her G-spot. The problem is, once I'm finally able to get it in, Mm -hmm. it needs to stay in because it makes a painful pop, (laughs) scraping up against her bone while attempting to squeeze in and out. Another problem is that there's only so much that I can stuff in her, which, which means even after I get the bead in, the amount of thrusting is minimal before I'm knocking on her cervix. What is at your White cervix? Problems, with right? a hard bead. Yeah, with a metal, metal structure. All right. So uh, there are situations where it can backfire. Sad yeah. story. <laughs> so, is that a sad that story? That is a sad story. All right. I have another story that might okay. be even sadder. All right. <laughs> Uh, this involved a, uh, somebody walking into a piercing parlor to get his beads removed. The story is recounted by the tattoo artist. Hmm. I saw what looked like it must have been at least four beads collected in a single spot. Oh, callback. Yikes. I asked him where he'd gotten it done and got the simple answer, prison. Ooh. Two years earlier, while incarcerated, his cellmate had used a sharpened toothbrush to penetrate and create a pocket in his penis and implant a large plastic bead. For his pleasure, I guess, in this situation. I wonder if this beating was voluntary. He was like, hey, listen, I want you to get a bead because it's Mm. for my pleasure. Yeah. We may never know. Um, Certainly not in this story, and I'm not going to inquire. What levels of voluntary there are? I'm going to do this. You do get very bored in prison, I would (laughs) imagine. It's a time killer. So his cellmate used a sharpened toothbrush to penetrate and create a pocket and implant a large plastic bead. The bead had been obtained by cutting open a spray paint can. Oh, the little... Yeah, when, you, when shake, you shake up the paint can. Yeah, there's oh, a plastic good. bead in there that yes. makes that noise to keep the paint. That's what I want. That's my how you identify Banksy if you ever meet him. <laughs> oh. Shake him up and down. <laughs> he wanted it removed because it was starting to become quite painful. The body seemed to be both trying to encapsulate the And beads. every time he peed, yeah. <laughs> black paint came out. <laughs> in a spray. <laughs> This, uh, this bead must not have been entirely biocompatible. It's unknown what type of plastic it was, but it had a very grainy surface, which may have been a sign that it was starting to break down. Right. To say nothing of any possible paint residue that may have been on it at the time of implantation. Being eroded by all the uh, cells. That is probably the most distasteful beading story that I could find. I endorse it. <laughs> Let's move on to tight lacing and corset piercing. Also called corset training and waist training, this is the practice of wearing a tightly laced corset to achieve extreme modifications to the figure and posture Mm. and experience the sensations of a very tight corset. And if you just hate your kidneys. Yeah. (laughs) Tight lacers typically wear a corset for at least 12 hours a day, every day when they are most active. Although more serious tight lacers, particularly those trying to achieve the smallest waist they can, wear corsets for up to 23 hours a day, taking the corset off only in order to bathe. Examples of extreme tight lacing have appeared in recent years with the pipe stem waist, in which the waist is reduced and parallel for a distance of four inches or more. Wow. Whoa. Dating back to the 1990s, corset piercings are surface... uh, Oh, yes. These are corset piercings. Corset piercings we're talking about now. Okay, so... This is no longer tight-wasting. Dating back to the 1990s, corset piercings are surface piercings meant to emulate the appearance of an actual corset. Very popular lingerie among fetish enthusiasts. 
as temporary piercings. They are worn for an amount of time ranging from a few hours, often until the event they were performed for has ended, to a week or more. Temporary corset piercings are open wounds and are subject to the same infection, cross-contamination, and irritation risks as any other healing piercing or small wound. As permanent piercings, these ones are very difficult and time-consuming to maintain. Due to the tremendous potential for the healing piercings to be irritated by normal daily life, corset piercings, even healed ones, require constant vigilance by the wearer to prevent damage Like all surface piercings, rejected or improperly healed corset piercings can leave noticeable permanent scarring. And we will have photos on CausticSodaPodcast.com. Yeah, corset piercing is interesting because if you want to try and make it permanent and you got to maintain it, but it's on your back. Yeah, you got to have an assistant. Or or you have one of those like uh, grabby arms. Yeah, you can just like you know (laughs) just back scratch it, back scratch it, and uh, you know mop it with antiseptics constantly or whatever (laughs) else you have to do. Although, if you did have one of these things, I mean, you'd just be tempted to walk around shirtless at all times. I mean, why else have it, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, if you've got six-pack abs, right? Just throw all your shirts away. <laughs> you get none a, of us here have you that could just wear You just wear a shirt that has a big hole in the back. A oh, big rectangular there hole. There you go. Yeah. Oh, backless dress if you're a lady? You yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. I actually saw that in the movie I watched. which was called American Mary. They had some people with uh, corset piercings. Save that for yeah. pop culture. Okay. All right. Artificial cranial deformation. Let's go into that now. Yeah. All right. Artificial cranial deformation. Yeah, you can kind of guess uh, what those three words mean. Artificial cranial deformation, head flattening or head binding, is a form of body alteration in which the skull of a human being is intentionally deformed. Uh, It's done by distorting the normal growth of a child's skull by applying force. Deformation usually begins just after birth for the next couple of years until the desired shape has been reached or the child rejects the apparatus. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have no information on if that's just them throwing a tantrum and throwing (laughs) it off or if their body actually physically rejects it. Or it could be a really kind way of saying the child dies. Yeah. Kids squish their brain. She's dead. What happened? They rejected Rejected it. it. I have enough time getting my kid to eat his vegetables. I don't see how he's going to react to... I had squishing? uh, Yeah, some (laughs) vines wrapped around his skull, even uh, even if he can't talk. Early examples of intentional human cranial deformation predate written history and date back to 45,000 BC in Neanderthal skulls. Wow. And the proto-Neolithic Homo sapiens component in Iraq uh, from the Shanidar cave. Uh, It also occurred among Neolithic peoples in Southwest Asia. So again, it's one of these things that everybody seems to have done it, even like cultures that couldn't ever have possibly run into each other. That's what the cool kids do. But you couldn't have been like, oh, look at that guy's head. That is so cool. How do we do that? I'm guessing what happens is they dropped one kid on their head and they grew up with like a kind of deformed head and said, you know, in the next one, let's try and do something on purpose and see if we can do something cool. (laughs) <laughs> this is sitting around the cave with like you know in the winter months yeah. when you don't, don't have, you only got like seven hours of daylight or whatever yeah. you're like yeah. um it's uh, squish his head <laughs> well um, as we heard in our infanticide episode it's a pretty pretty new development to give a crap about every single child that gets born <laughs> like it was only really until the the church the, the catholic church and the jewish and christian religion showed up that we had orphanages before that you would just like leave kids out who wants this kid? Nobody? Because if you don't, I'm going to kill it. That was the way <laughs> yeah. it worked. It's like the Craigslist come pick up for free. So it's like, well, I don't want to kill it, but let's experiment with its head shape. <laughs> That'll be fun. It's like the opposite of the last piece of pizza. Nobody <laughs> wants that last kid. 
the nomadic Huns and Alans are also known to have practiced similar cranial deformation. Australian Aborigines practiced it, as did the Chinookian and Choctaw indigenous tribes of North Americans. The Maya, Inca, and the nobility of the South American Paracas cultures practice skull binding, resulting in cranial deformation. The Paracas situation is somewhat unique in that researchers have found the presence of at least five distinct shapes of elongated skulls, each being predominant in specific cemeteries. Oh, oh yeah. In the region of Toulouse, France, voluntary deformations were performed until the early 20th century. Cranial deformation was probably performed to signify group affiliation or to demonstrate social status. It could be aimed at creating a skull shape which is aesthetically more pleasing or associated with desirable attributes. Uh, in, some Australian, in some Australasian islands, a person with an elongated head is thought to be more intelligent, of higher status, and closer to the world of spirits. All right. All right. Okay. Although, as the world of spirits is generally uh, closely related to people with schizophrenia and other mental illnesses, maybe deforming your brain inside your cranium helps with that. <laughs> I can see the spirits. <laughs> and then somebody invented the sports jersey, and we all breathed a sigh of relief. Uh, there you go. Shirt or head alteration? I'm going uh, with the shirt. Chris, you're a famous artist. <laughs> Do you know like something about, uh, are there any um, body modifiers who are maybe more famous than others? Yes, Kevin, there are. <laughs> First up, we have uh, a French artist uh, who goes by the name Orlan. Uh, her na- given name is Marie-Suzanne Frasset Portre, has been making a name for herself in the art world since she became Orlan in the early 1970s. The French performance artist and feminist icon is best known for transforming herself into a living work of art through plastic surgery. Oh, all right. While Botox, facelifts, and other techniques are routinely used to bring subjects closer to the established ideals of beauty, Orlan uses these tools to question beauty norms. So, okay, so explain this to me. Like, you're, you know, you know this artsy-fartsy stuff, uh-huh. right? So, <laughs> what exactly, how, like, it, it, put that in layman's terms. Like, how is getting a bunch of plastic surgery on your face mm-hmm. questioning norms? The reincarnation of saint Auban, a new project that started in 1990, involves a series of plastic surgeries through which the artist transformed herself into elements from famous paintings oh, okay. and sculptures of women. As a part of her carnal art manifesto, these works were filmed and broadcast in institutions throughout the world. Orlan's goal in these surgeries is to acquire the ideal of female beauty as depicted by male artists. Mm. When the surgeries are complete, she will have the chin of Botticelli's Venus, the nose of Jean-Léon Jérôme's Psyche, the lips of François Boucher's Europa, the eyes of Diana as depicted in a 16th century French school of Fontainebleau painting, and the forehead of Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa. So she's basically turning herself into a meta, right. mega artwork, uh, sampling of all the an iconic art... uh, masterpieces right. uh, of Western she's art. She's an art beauty chimera. Yeah, exactly. Right. But I also think it's also obviously a statement about the male control of right. you know, the gay, male gaze, if you want to use that term, and um, in the way our uh, wonderful Southern friends appropriated Peckerwood uh, for their own usage, mm-hmm. she is taking those... Um, tropes and male expectations of beauty and sort of broadcasting them back and I'm looking I'm, she looks pretty weird well I after think... it's all been said and done mm-hmm. it's not yeah. for you Kevin oh no no it's just for her <laughs> it's not for you <laughs> all right. it's for somebody else I don't doubt that for one second maybe, she was not thinking of me while she was doing this maybe that's what she's trying to say right. listen if I put together all these parts that you guys claim that you want yeah. it looks weird 
And oh, maybe right. that's not what you want. Maybe you want something more than just the parts. Oh, that's actually interesting. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Fulgham, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, she isn't the only person, though. It's a fairly popular practice. Uh, there's another gentleman who goes by the name of Stellark, uh, born Stelios Arcadiu in 1946. He is a Cypriot Australian performance artist whose work focuses on extending the capabilities of the human body as he believes that the human body is obsolete. Yeah, but he's still using his. That's true. I, yeah, exactly. I'm sure he wouldn't, um, he wouldn't use that if he was enjoying an evening at Red Lobster. He'd probably be uh, <laughs> enjoying his buttered lobster tail with relish. Stell Arc. His name is Stelios Arcadio. Stell Arc sounds like when you work, start a new job and everyone has their own email address. Yes. And they just take like the first three letters from your first name and add it That's to right. and the first three letters to the last name. Yeah, oh, so you're Torat. Yeah. His Torat, you're Kev Lee. Oh, yeah. You're Kwoo. <laughs> Stellark's idiosyncratic performances often involve robotic or other relatively modern technology integrated with his body. In one particular performance, he allowed his body to be controlled remotely by electronic muscle stimulators connected to the internet. Ooh, that would be fun. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, what's the over and under on how long it took before somebody had to masturbate? Yeah. <laughs> like a minute and a half? Was yeah. it 90 seconds? I'm or did he make it to 120? Stop yeah. hitting yourself. Stop, Stop hitting, hitting yourself. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his, his older brother was the only one not allowed to log in. <laughs> Has that guy not seen the internet and the people on it? <laughs> but one of his best-known works occurred in 2007 when Stellark had a cell-cultivated ear surgically attached to his left arm. Whoa. Oh. I can't hear you. Yes. He also plans to implant a microphone so people can listen to what his arm ear is hearing. Would that work? Pretty. Good so, Lord. So there's the operation. Yeah. And there's the arm ear. arm ear, nice. Yeah. There's the arm ear. He has an ear in his arm now. Exactly. It's for listening around so corners. So how does that prove? <laughs> so how does that prove that the human body is obsolete? <laughs> oh. I'll have to get back to you on that. One. Okay. All right. Okay. I can grow an ear on my arm. <laughs> Useless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing uh, 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 meeting lots of uh, uh, ladies probably plays a large part into it. Okay. Uh, if All you right. ask me. I'm Speaking an, as a male. Yeah. No, I'm an artist. See? Uh, <laughs> well, artist is also a really great stand-in for crazy person. Yeah. yeah. So you can see. You, that's a pretty good blanket term for crazy person. Artist. Is there something you want to tell us, Chris? Not to my knowledge. That explains that hat. Oh. <laughs> Let's go to stalking cat. Never Dennis mind. Avner, a.k.a. Stalking Cat, was an ex-Navy submarine technician and computer programmer who modified his appearance to make himself resemble a female tiger. Oh, okay. He There's was awarded... Sorry? That seems like a good idea. I... It's an idea. Uh-huh. Looking at this picture, it's as scary as a tiger, but not in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never seen a tiger without any fur on its face, uh-huh. but it's possible it would look something like that. Well, you do what you can with the tools you have. Yeah. Sure. I must say I admire his commitment in that it wasn't just whiskers, not a yeah. tiger. No. Nope. <laughs> yeah, he didn't just get a few fake ears yeah. put on his it's head. Just, and... He 
jumped he in with uh, all two or all four, four paws, depending on who you're talking. Yeah, about. He, he didn't just go Peter Chris, uh, you know, kitty cat style. Yeah. He went full on. Mm-hmm. He was awarded the World Guinness the Guinness World Record for most operations to look like an animal. Mm-hmm. Wow. He explained that his modifications were his way of becoming closer to his quote totem spirit animal end mm. quote, borrowed from his Huron and Lakota background. Interesting. His modifications included having, you know, all those Lakota tiger spirits. Uh huh. Yes. Right. Uh huh. His modifications including having all his teeth replaced with fang-like dentures, a split lip, cheek implants, and whisker-like piercings. Some in the medical ethics okay. community were alarmed by his many surgeries, which they attributed to a serious case of body dysmorphic disorder, uh, which we discussed in the Seven Deadly Sins Pride episode. Yeah. Yep. Correct. The larger modifications were performed by, quote, body artist Steve Hayward and not by plastic surgeons. Since the procedures were not done by a physician, they were done without anesthesia. Oh! Yeah. Meow! (laughs) And uh, a sad ending to this, Avner died in 2012 of an apparent suicide. Yeah, guess what? It didn't make him happy. Turning into a female tiger did not make him happy. Uh, Well, I mean, we can't say. Maybe it kept him happy for a few years. How many? Um, he's lying in front of a fireplace somewhere now. I, you, I can only hope that he's... Oh, made a rug out of him. Curled up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe in any kind of afterlife, but if there was one, hopefully he looks much more like a female he's, tiger. He's lying in front happy. of a fireplace in heaven. Yeah, uh-huh. sure. Oh, I want to make a nine-live suicide joke, but I think I'm going to pass on that one. <laughs> okay. um, I have to say that, that uh, Mr. Stalking Cat brings to mind the notion that body modification uh, in deep history probably was also used as a really great way, let's say, for battle purposes or for... Right. Imagine meeting Mr. Stalking Cat right. Right. on your rounds. At, at the end of a sword. I just met a, a tiger man or even something yeah. simple yeah. like the head modifications... Would Did you hear it. that other tribe puts huge plates in their lips? Yeah, well, yeah. those I'm, guys are crazy. Let's be nice to them. In the realm of science, what yeah. do you your go to is magic. So yeah, and you think of the Maori tattoos as well. Yeah, you've pretty much got yourself an instant. You know, if you want to put it in a role playing game, you know, presence vernacular or, or that sort of thing. Like you right. just you flat out just scare somebody with your looks. You've right. already done right. nine tenths of the work. Or, again, to elevate yourself, your status as a magical being, etc. Right. And here's Got the it. thing about Stalking Cat. I mean, uh, you cannot deny he is a weirdo. Like, he looks bizarre. Mm-hmm. But have we ever heard of a story of him hurting anybody else? Like, the only person that he yes. messed up was himself, mm-hmm. right? This guy, and he went for it. It's what he wanted to do. He did it. As far as we know, he was decent to everybody else around him. He was obviously troubled, and this might have been a way to deal with it. It's, I can't make fun of this guy. You know, if he committed suicide by uh, assisted suicide, was mm. it the SPCA that did it? <laughs> Apparently you can make fun of him. Right. Or he just traveled to India. Yeah, he's just not trying hard enough, John. I know, you're right. <laughs> Lydia, oh Lydia, say have you met Lydia? Lydia the tattooed lady. She has eyes that folks adore so, and a torso even more so. Lydia, oh Lydia, that encyclopedia. Oh Lydia, the queen of tattoo. On her back is the Battle of Waterloo. Beside it, the wreck of the Hesperus too. And proudly above waves the red, white, and blue. You can learn a lot from Lydia. (laughs) 
When her robe is unfurled, she will show you the world if you step up and tell her where. For a dime you can see Kankakee or Paris or Washington crossing the Delaware. Start relaxing up the hill comes Andrew Jackson. Lydia, oh Lydia, that encyclopedia. Oh Lydia, the queen of them all. For two bits she will do a mazurka in jazz with a view of Niagara that nobody has. And on a clear day you can see Alcatraz. You can learn a lot from Lydia. and see Buffalo Bill with his lasso. Just a little classic by Mendel Picasso. Here is Captain Spaulding exploring the Amazon. Here's Godiva but with her pajamas on. Here is Grover Whalen unveiling the Trilon. Over on the west coast we have Treasure Island. Here's Nijinsky a-doing the rubber. Here's her social security number. Once swept an admiral clear off his feet. The ships on her hips made his heart skip a beat. And now the old boy's in command of the fleet. For he went and married Lydia. In the news. 2009, Suffolk, England. John Chillingworth, 35, was given a tattoo on his right calf by his girlfriend, 22-year-old Amy Haas, as a birthday present. By the time he arrived home at about 3.30 p.m., he told his girlfriend that the tattoo was stinging. His leg was swollen and red within two days and a scab formed. That all sounds kind of normal for a tattoo. Sure. Mr. Chillingworth had trouble sleeping because of the pain. He visited his general practitioner who cleaned and dressed the wound, gave him painkillers and antihistamines and sent him home. Yet ten days after the tattoo session, Miss Hawes returned home from work to find Mr. Chillingworth lying slumped on the sitting room sofa. He was pronounced dead when paramedics arrived shortly afterwards. Holy crap, yikes. A post-mortem examination found that Mr. Chillingworth died due to a blood clot in one of his lungs, which had come from a deep vein thrombosis in his calf. The coroner said it was not clear whether it had been related to the tattoo or whether it developed due to Mr. Chillingworth being inactive due to the pain. The tattoo artist followed all necessary hygiene procedures but recorded a verdict of pulmonary embolism following a tattooing. Dude, right. that tat is killer. <laughs> Get it? Something Guys? he didn't say in the... <laughs> I'm just going to continue. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something they didn't say was that it was a Calvin peeing on a Chevy symbol. Oh, yeah. His body nice. just rejected the tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Tasmanian devil. 2013, David Wanacott in North Bend, Oregon, qualified for his tattoo license on July 5th and wasted little time establishing a business in the small Oregon community. You're in the wrong town, Wanacott told the only other tattoo parlor owner mm. on July 31st while mm. pointing a gun at his competitor. What? Wanakut's okay. gun Was it a jammed. tattoo gun? <laughs> that would have been awesome. Uh, uh, yeah, you got to tattoo bullet holes all over your body. <laughs> it, 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 it tattoos a little tattoo that says, you would so be dead if this was a real gun. <laughs> well, wait, i got to tattoo a target on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Wanakut's gun jammed when he attempted to shoot the other owner, so he resorted to striking him on the head with the butt of the gun. 
A former employee of Wanakut's told police his former boss didn't like the competition and believed his business had been suffering because of the other parlor, and the employee told police that Wanakut was territorial and threatened to burn down the other shop multiple times. Mm, the wow. victim arrived at work on July 31st at a car pulled in behind him. Wanakut emerged wearing rubber gloves with a pistol in his hand. The victim tried wrestling the gun from his hand, but Wanakut maintained control and struck him in the head. He was arraigned on charges of attempted murder, assault, and being a felon in the possession of a gun. Mm. Maybe if he'd taken business school, you know, maybe like a coupon or a two-for-one tattoo day would be, you know, a better way to compete. <laughs> Did he even try those first? Like, yeah. Like, just went right to the gun. No <laughs> kidding. I feel like they needed to bring in Gordon Ramsay for Tattoo Parlor Nightmares to uh, straighten his shit out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got to make that show happen. <laughs> Your inking sucks! <laughs> So the guy, yeah, they're all like ex-cons, so, you know. That's right. Well, they do, there are a number of TV programs, none of which I can remember the name of, but uh, America's Worst Tattoo, and, and there's, there's several reality shows where people go in with bad Inc. tattoos and get... Yeah, um, Miami Inc., LA well, those are just do that sometimes, parlors, but, but they some, do cover-ups as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, precisely. All right, well, that seems like a sweetest segue into pop culture I ever heard. Moby Dick? Moby Dick um, are, has a famous character that known as Queequeg, which is, um, I believe, he is a New Zealander, a New Zealander or Maori rather. Uh, although they don't, they don't state explicitly in the book. Queequeg's tattoos were inscribed on his body by a prophet of his island, who had written out the hieroglyphic markings as a complete theory of the universe and a theory mm. of how to attain truth. But that Queequeg himself could not read or solve the riddle of the markings on his own body. Because you can't see your oh. back. It was the unified field theory. Exactly. So, yeah, <laughs> Years he ahead a, of its time. Exactly. He, the Maori and Einstein, unfortunately, passed away before he was able to uh, translate it. Oh. Uh, Herman Melville himself spent four months in the Marquesas uh, in 1842 after deserting a whale ship. In his book, Taipei, the character Tomo, which was a stand-in for Melville, cited the eagerness of the Marquesan people to tattoo him as one of the main reasons he escaped. So his uh, Victorian uh, Western ideal of tattoos as savage mm. were kind of uh, were one of the reasons he wanted to get out of Dodge because they were pretty much... You don't have a tattoo? Yeah, Why don't you have a tattoo? <laughs> empty, Look at all just that. like a blank canvas. I'm not a man without a tattoo. We've got to get you a tattoo. Exactly. <laughs> have a drink. Come out drinking with us. We'll talk about getting you a tattoo. Yeah. Have some more to drink. What's the matter? Where are you going? That's right. Where are you? He's leaving our island. All right. Yeah, he's gone, though. Yeah, uh, there's also, uh, in Taipei, I believe there's also a scene at the beginning uh, where he describes an incident that happened with a Royal Navy ship that visited the Marquesas, and uh, some very important dignitaries were on the ship, representatives of the crown, and the king and queen of the particular island they were visiting uh, boarded the ship and were introduced to the English dignitaries, but they wanted to talk to the sailors because the sailors were tattooed, Right. And they thought the sailors were, were the, the important people. Oh, yeah. right. I like that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, that caused, let's just say they were not amused, the, the English uh, part uh, being uh, bypassed yeah. by our uh, Marquesan friends. So We should probably talk about Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's two versions, obviously. There's the original Swedish version, and then there's the English-language version with David Fincher directing. Mm-hmm. I prefer the Swedish-language version, but... Maybe it's just because I'm a big fan of Numi Rapace because she was uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Her tattoo isn't really the part that everybody remembers about this movie. It's Mm -hmm. the government agent that she has to answer to, her parole officer, who uh, uh, rapes her on more than one occasion. Mm -hmm. Uh, She ties him down and scrawls, I am a racist, on his belly with a... Racist or rapist? Or rapist. 
I am a rapist. I'm sure it wouldn't be incorrect if she, if she had. <laughs> On his belly with a, uh, with a tattoo gun. And Did she... the movie end when he went to a tattoo parlor and had it, had it removed? Oh, no. The, the movie had barely anything to do with that. Oh, okay. It became a murder mystery from like 30 years earlier. Oh, I see. Uh, I've never seen it. I, I can tell. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> uh, it's quite a good, uh, a good movie. Uh, I have friends of mine who are huge fans of the series of books. It's hard to cheer for her, but then right. again, you kind of hate the dude. So, right. If you think about it, she could have tattooed on his face, uh-huh. which would have been, I mean, in her revenge, it was actually measured in certain, in a certain sense in that he wasn't marked to right. the public as much as it was a reminder to him to uh, mind his manners, I suppose. Yeah, but she did also end up by sticking some stuff up his butt. <laughs> so that again, feels uh, more again, vengeful. Yeah, I think uh, we all can all agree uh, that she uh, was in the right. Prison Break is a TV show that revolves entirely around a tattoo. Mm. They, there's a brother who goes to jail, and the other brother tattoos himself with the way to get out of the jail. Oh, yeah. The escape plan. The escape plan is in the tattoo, secretly embedded uh, on his body. It just reminded me of Yellowbeard. Yes. <laughs> That's the, the actual treasure map tattooed on his kid's uh, head. His son's head. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, there you go. So they probably stole the idea from yeah, Yellowbeard. They must obviously. have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, favorite show of mine is Sons of Anarchy, a guilty pleasure, if you will. Uh, and it's about outlaw bikers in a mis- uh, mythical town in California named Charming. And tattoos are very central to the series, uh, even to the point of the opening titles uh, feature tattoos morphing into the uh, uh, stars' names. And there is also at least two uh, graphic scenes where bikers are uh, expelled from the group and are relieved of their tattoos with a welding torch. Right. Oh. Mm. Um, And I am... I would really like to get a doctor's opinion as to having an entire back tattoo removed with an acetylene flame. And the bikers are conscious and enjoying their cigar through most of it. And tough, they're toughing it out, man. Because, you know, having, t- having wow. fourth-degree burns on your back, you can walk it off. Yeah, no, that seems unlikely. Yeah, so that seems they, very unlikely. Yeah, it seems uh, sort of silly. But uh, tattoos, obviously, their overlap with biker culture are, are essential to that wonderful, wonderful program. I don't know if I've mentioned it before. Legend of the Five Rings is a card game and role-playing game setting uh, made by Alderac Entertainment Group. It's set in a, uh, a fantasy kind of Asian fusion uh, world with samurai and spellcasters and actual uh, Asian dragons and things like that. There's a bunch of different clans all founded by some kami or uh, godlike creatures who fell down to, to the earth and each one founded their own kind of family which now then they're warring for uh, control. One of them was founded by, uh, by one who didn't marry into the humans, but instead lived forever and would tattoo some of them with his own blood and give them these magical tattoos. They, they became his, they call them Isezume, or tattooed men. And it gave them, like, incredible magical powers. Uh, a guy with a dragon tattoo could breathe fire. Right. Uh, oh. Somebody with a centipede tattoo could run super, super fast for long distances. And so they were kind of like the a messengers magical... messengers of the empire. They were like a magical sigil kind of thing. They were like... monks with magical tattoos. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. And right. as the game and the world progressed, they came up with more and more tattoos. Some of the men would go insane from this magical godlike power being injected into their body. Or, or I was about to say... the wilderness and become a problem for the empire. What? Tattoo would drive a man insane. Maybe uh, the full moon tattoo. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a big black circle. Yeah. Oh yeah. There you or go. The Guns and Roses tattoo would probably uh-huh. drive you insane. Or oh, sorry, that was the new moon tattoo. tattoo. No, it would just give you an tattoo. appetite for destruction. Oh, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
references. <laughs> then, then, of course, the mom tattoo, which you press it and it summons your mother to scold the people uh, who are giving you problems. I, my son's a nice boy. <laughs> you leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're, uh, we're long on time, so we, we should are. probably just jump straight to the lesser of two evils. So I think from this episode, we definitely have to go with a revenge tattoo. Okay. So uh, we are going to be held down by perhaps Nomi Rapace or a uh, fellow prisoner. That's probably and, scarier. And have, yeah. uh, have our foreheads and or our bellies tattooed with stuff like revenge and I'm a rapist and Yikes. stuff that we don't want to have on our faces and right. our bellies. So, but, but accurate, so mine would say like lazy. Oh, okay. Precisely. <laughs> That's one end of the lesser of two evils. Yikes. Uh, does anybody have an idea of what we can go up against? Let's uh, bring it back to our recent Mummies episode where we talked about the Sokushin Butsu mummification process. In which, mm. for a thousand days, you will eat a special diet consisting only of nuts and seeds while taking part in a regimen of rigorous physical activity. Uh-huh. Me? <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Well, that's not going to fly. <laughs> then, you will, for another thousand days, you will eat only bark and roots while you drink a poisonous tea <laughs> to <laughs> make slowly from the... kill you. <laughs> oh, this is a Richard Simmons sort of thing. Yeah, this is a deal of meal. Old style deal of meal. Okay. Um, and then once you become too poisonous to be eaten by maggots because of the tea, uh, this is after a thousand days, uh, you will lock yourself in a stone tomb and uh, just sit in the lotus position until you die. Then hopefully a thousand days later, you will have had become a mummy when they yeah, pull you out. because you will Heavens, prep yourself by eating seeds yeah. and this poison tea. Yeah. And so that you, the goal is to be mummified. The goal is naturally. to become a, a natural mummy and then be buddified, if it's that's still a word. preferable right. to hot yoga. Okay. I'm still too <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that's not the question, Chris. Yeah. The question is, would you choose horrible tattooing, revenge tattoos all over your body? That I'm guessing we can't get undone. Yeah. Because no, if absolutely. we're comparing this to death, it's somehow magically permanent. Well, even, here's the thing. Even tattoos that get removed are still kind of there. Yeah. Like, n- no tattoo is ever, like, you, you get pure... You can get a cover-up, though. I could get can a I get cover-up. a cover-up? Uh, of an awesome slee stack fighting... My uh, rapist tattoo, I could put the in front of it, and I would say I'm a therapist. therapist. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, I mean, you could obviously, you know, accentuate, for sure, but it would be all over your forehead and face and whatnot. Right. Could I request that the revenge tattoo be done in Old English? and all capitals because as we know <laughs> tattoos done in that fashion are illegible anyway yeah. so uh, no see here's the thing you're, you're, that is in fact what would happen because your revenge artist would do it in that really scrolly yeah, yeah. Uh, calligraphy because it would be way more painful but you'll be struggling involuntarily so do it would I get, be you know, can I get the messy. fighting Irish logo too just off to the side well you can add anything you want after <laughs> yeah. that okay, okay. Right. as long as I get that yeah. uh, but this is I assume there'll be no anesthetic as well no anesthetic absolutely not yeah. I like living uh-huh. yeah. as much as the living would involve having a permanent tattoo for 2,000 days yeah with rigorous exercise Joe yeah exactly I'm not big on rigorous exercise <laughs> Can I imagine a tattoo so bad that I would prefer to do that six-year slow mummy suicide? Well, if you've ever seen Kat Von D, I think we can all imagine how bad a tattoo can be. I gotta go with the tattoo. As terrible, like as bad as it would be, to, especially if it was something you know horrible and socially off-putting that would make everybody. Well, you work never... out of your basement anyway. You it's don't, true. You, you're never gonna be hired by. You never have to go in for a job interview but I, in person. I am yeah, a relatively social host, person. Yeah. Like I do go out and interact <laughs> right. with people. Right. I'm but not. You... I'm not a basement troll. <laughs> I'm only a basement control when it comes to what I do for a living not for my social life so much 
and that would cause problems, but not the equivalent problems to <laughs> rigorous exercise and eating nuts and berries for three years and then eating poisonous roots and barks and tea for another three years. I'm going to go with the horrible tattoo, but I'm just going to tell people I'm a really big fan of uh, the Da Vinci Code and that it's just code for something oh, uh, I see. really okay. cool. And right. then they find the I'm a rapist carved into some uh, frieze in Italy somewhere. Uh. Oh, well on I their way see. to the treasure. It's so just I'm, a, it's a clue. A treasure map. It's, right. It's, it's a, You're it's part of a bigger a, picture. Yeah, it's just a deception. I'm just pretending it to would be. be so it would be torture I'm, to tell that story every person you meet. No, 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 listen... Okay, I know it says rapist, but it's actually a treasure map. And no, honestly, look if you look, and there's a freeze, and da 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 da. Then you meet another person. Oh. No, I just have a card. So what you're what you're not taking yeah, into account is how much Chris likes to hear the sound of his own voice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This yeah. Is it gives me a chance not. to talk people to death. Now, Chris, here's what I want to know: If your body, you've explained it as a treasure map, what uh, what part of your body is the X that marks the spot? <laughs> I don't know. I think we'd have to get a medical opinion on that. Uh, one, so. uh, well, I almost think it's too easy because I can wear a hat. I wear a balaclava. <laughs> <laughs> so if I can wear a hat, then I guess I've got to go with a tutu. But there is a, bear, a certain... What if I use a really big font? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. That covers my whole body? Yeah. <laughs> but being a mummy, that's pretty cool. That's pretty romantic to be hanging out in Japan and drinking poisonous tea is pretty hardcore. Which is, you know, as, as you well know, I live a hardcore lifestyle. Yeah. You can handle all that time by yourself. Yeah. Oh, but imagine how cruel it would be that you'd live in Japan and not be able to eat sushi. It's all just nuts and berries and whatnot. I don't even like fish. Oh, wow. Or seaweed. Now, now, it's now looking I'm, good for me, for now, the mummies. No, now I want to give you a revenge tattoo for having such horrible taste. That says sushi? Yeah. Sushi is what I'm getting tattooed right. on my face? Exactly. Well, also, if you I like that. sushi. That's what you're going to get oh, tattooed no, on your face. Oh, no, everyone's going to be bugging me to have some sushi every day? Yeah. Plus, yeah, I heard you like sushi. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I was thinking about actually hanging out in uh, sealed in a tomb for a thousand days anyway, so I'm going to go with, uh, <laughs> with, go with mummification. mummification. I'm going to go with the romantic. Uh, I'm going with mummification too, but I just, oh, I, I, just, I, I just like finish lines. <laughs> right. No, in 2,000 right. days, I'm going right. to be in that tomb. The deadline really motivates it. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> That's how you get stuck. Uh, deadline, literally. Ah, yeah, that is. Whoa. I'd like to thank Chris Woods from Horse Track Hooligans. Coming out, Thank you. being our uh, artist, our own personal artist. He'll be drawing, <laughs> a, he'll be painting rapist. something for everyone. All everyone who came gets That's a free right. painting. Yeah, autographs. he's gonna do a uh, a big head caricature of everybody who showed up <laughs> on your way out the door. You like roller skating? <laughs> you look like you like roller skating. Tattoo it on for a small fee. Oh, there you go. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy. Today such a bad feeling An ominous feeling A feeling you know that We'll be back When the week is new And we'll have more gross facts for you And you'll have things you'll want to hear about We will too Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while doing laundry in his mom's basement. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. 
Tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Soda Podcast and email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Cringe. <laughs> <laughs>